Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. And, and I, I tell that to people all the time, all my staff, that when they're unhappy with on-air talent, whatever the issue is, you must confront it. You've got to put it on the table and let everybody deal with it. Yeah. And it's really the only path to success. And I've said this a million times in my career because it's so important. I say, I say to the on-air talent, you know, when I take over a show, I launch a show, and I say there's only one steadfast rule with me. And it is, you must have clear, open, and honest communication. We can solve everything else. But if I don't know the truth, I don't know what people are really thinking, I, I can't get you there. Okay, Who Are You Nation? I am extremely honored to introduce our special guest today, Jamie Horowitz. Jamie, are you ready to put your game face on and join our team? I am ready. Let's do it. Jamie, please take a moment, introduce yourself, and let Who Are You Nation know what you're up to these days. Well, thank you. I'm happy to. Uh, I am Jamie Horowitz. I'm, uh, I'm the Vice President of Original Programming and Production at ESPN. I am mostly, though not exclusively, focused on the development of studio shows for ESPN. And uh, for some background, when, when I refer to ESPN, I mean the variety of, of linear TV outlets. So for fans, that's ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN3, ESPNU, ESPN Classic, ESPN News. Gets, it seems endless at this point. And uh, as perhaps many of your listeners knows, the networks were mostly built around programming live sports events and sports centers. That's what a lot of people tuned into ESPN for. But the big question for the company was, what else goes on when we aren't showing games in sports center? And that's where my team comes in. We're charged with developing daily studio shows to fill out the schedule. And in my six years at ESPN, my team has been able to develop and continue to oversee shows like Sports Nation, First Take, Numbers Never Lie, Colin Coward's Football Show, and this past year, the new Keith Olbermann show, appropriately called Olbermann. <laughs> so uh, most importantly... I love my job. I find it challenging and totally fulfilling. Fantastic. Well, we're going to get a little bit deeper on that and your responsibilities, of course, because being a sports show and the life lessons of sports, I'm sure you have a lot to add. And I'm very curious about not only all of these things you're doing, but but most importantly, what your business card says. Do you really put all those things on your business card? <laughs> on my business card, it just says sports. Oh, okay. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> I just want to get that out there. So do us a favor, Jamie. To get this interview underway, can you share with us a motivational or inspirational quote, something that's meant something very dear to you as, uh, as you reflect back on your journey so far to date? Sure. You know, a, a quote that I, that I often reference to my team is something former New York Governor Mario Cuomo once said. And he said, you campaign in poetry, but you govern in prose. And I just love that. You campaign in poetry, but you govern in prose. And I think that is the essence of, of leadership. You, know, you need to motivate your team with strategic vision, sometimes flowery language, but you also need to, to sit with them and, and listen to their challenges, let them air their grievances, take their perceived slight seriously. It, it's two very different skill sets, but I think most great leaders have both. 
Yeah, fantastic. What a great leader uh, leadership lesson right there and one that I'm sure your team adopts very quickly. So yeah, good for you. That's great. That would fire me up, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you. I'm ready to go. You got an extra job for me? <laughs> <laughs> I have plenty of shows, plenty of jobs. Perfect, perfect. Well, we'll talk after the show. So, all right, Jamie, now do us a favor. Bring us back. 12 years old, what's it like inside the house, at school, playing ball? I know you love sports. Take us back to that time period, please. Sure. Very happy times. I, you know, I grew up in, in Newton, Massachusetts, which was a suburb about 20 minutes outside of Boston. My father was a psychiatrist, my mother a speech therapist, and uh, my sister the most lovable annoyance a brother could have. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was a very happy life. So much of my early life was, was in fact, focused on basketball. And I think what part of what made it special was that my dad coached me in my local league for most of my youth. You know, my, my mother used to say, as you asked sort of what the dinner was like, used to say the dinner table conversation was consistent talk of Saturday basketball games that, that I played in and my dad coached in. And, and life sort of rotated like this. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday was preparation. Saturday was participation. And Sunday, Monday, Tuesday was regurgitation. <laughs> Preparation, participation, regurgitation. It was an endless loop, and, and I loved every minute of it. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I could tell by your excitement and energy that it was good times. Like these weren't, you know, dad making you run and do suicides and let's go get back on the floor. You enjoyed these moments. Was there something special there about that bond at that time that oftentimes can go the opposite direction, of course? Yeah, no, it, it really was the most special relationships, and uh, you know, my my father and I are still very close. And you know, it was. It, I guess you do hear sometimes of those stories of, of parents who are too involved or pushed too hard, but but it wasn't like that for us. He really he pushed me the perfect amount, and uh, it's an experience I helped to replicate with my two young boys. Well, good for you, and I, you're bringing back memories of my father. Who, honestly, I'm, I know he was teaching us. I know he was because I learned a lot growing up. But it was all about the Pepsi award, right? Who who would get the Pepsi award? And the award, <laughs> the award was for the person who had the most hustle during the game. And and I just remember that. So it just uh, it is. It's a nice time, especially when it's done right. So yeah. I know you're going to be a, a good coach one day. And those days are coming. You better drop one of those shows because you know where you're heading in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You're going to be driving all over the place and coaching these kids, so good, good for you. Now, growing up, did you have a job back before or during high school that you can remember? And if so, what was it? Sure. I, literally, my, my first job um, was kind of a fun story. It was a job I created. I was, uh, I was on summer vacation with my family in New Hampshire, and I remember there was a massive all-afternoon rainstorm that put everybody indoors, and, and, and my beloved grandfather had been a baker, and when we were on vacation with him, he would bake rolls and croissants and, and cookies. And, and to pass the time in this rainstorm, the eight-year-old version of me decided I would go door-to-door -door in the vacation community and sell my grandfather's cookies. And th this, is, uh, this is a terrific business model. My mother bought the supplies, my grandfather did the cooking, and I sold the product keeping all the proceeds. That's perfect. Unbeatable. And, and I always remember that I, that I sold the cookies for seven cents per cookie. And I, and I always remember this because the, the reason I chose that price point is because I was so familiar with football scoring and I could quickly multiply by seven. So an order for six cookies was just six touchdowns, which was 42 points, or in this case, 42 cents. 
So you don't see a lot of that type of pricing strategy in a lot of textbooks. Yeah, but it gosh, worked for me. You know, I never went to business school, but did a lot of research and just didn't see it. But there may be a calling for you there, Jamie. And I'll have to say, like you said, you definitely made out, but I think the customer made out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You never had the cookies. There you go. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so when did it click for you? I know coming out of college, you were interested in sports. You've always been fascinated by sports and it's been a, a part of your DNA, but when did it really click that this is what you were going to dedicate your life to, at least so far? You're, you're absolutely right. I, I've always loved sports. I, I remember at an early age, you know, I, I would consider myself a sports junkie, and the the Sunday Boston Globe sports section was like mana from heaven for me. I mean, I would read every word every week, and uh, I think for me, for sports really clicking in is sort of of something that I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. I think it was probably the, you know, my first sort of, oh my, how in the world is this possible moment in sports, which was for me in 1984 when, when uh, Boston College uh, quarterback Doug Flutie, as I'm sure you remember, threw his Hail Mary to, uh, to beat the favorite Miami Hurricanes. And I, you know, I can still see the score, 47-45. It was over Thanksgiving break. I was with my family, and there was no chance the Eagles were going to win. And I saw that. I thought this is the most amazing thing in the world. And that really, for me, was a bit of a, of a transition from, oh, I love to play sports, but now I love to watch them, and one day I'd want to cover them. I was, I was probably around eight years old, and I was hooked. Yeah, no, it's truly amazing, and I can tell. Now, I don't want to – you're working for somebody, so I'm not going to get you in trouble here. But there is that part where you go and you become officially part of sports, which means now it's not just watching. Now it's working. And, hey, sometimes it's not all glory, right? There's a lot of hard work. It is a job. Was there anything when you started to get into sports and just in general that uh, was a little bit surprising? Like, oh, yeah, well, I forgot about this part or, wow, I didn't know this or anything you could share with us for those who want to get into sports just to really prepare us? Yeah, I think the, the thing that's really interesting about the sports industry is that people might initially think, it's a transition from being just a sports fan to someone who works in sports. And really, that's not necessarily the best path to success in the sports industry. In fact, you're almost better served to have just been interested in media, to just be a journalist, and then decide among the, the different pursuits to choose sports. Because what you end up finding out here is you're producing television, you're writing articles, and it just happens to be about sports. And, and certainly your passion for sports makes it more enjoyable to come to work and to follow, but it won't necessarily make you better at it. And I think that I find that a lot now when I'm recruiting people to join my team, that they're very quick to tell me what a big sports fan they are, and I'm much more interested in their ability to think and their journalistic skills than I am on their ability to remember who was on the 1985 Syracuse roster. Right. No, it's a it's a valid point, and there are so many listeners out there that do have that dream of either going into sports jobs uh, or sort of switching what they're currently doing. And I remember we had Paul D. Podesta, the uh, former general manager of the Dodgers and now does some work with the Mets, and of course in the movie Moneyball, uh, somebody asked him one time in an interview, or well, he asked them, in an interview, and they said, uh, of course, I want this job. What can I do to get this job? And Paul simply turned around and said, well, can you tell me right now what you're doing to uh, fulfill this position? 
And the kid kind of looked around and, and said, uh, as Paul recollects it, well, well, I don't, you know, I just love sports. Kind of like you said. And, and Paul, Paul goes, well, well, look around, my friend. There's a lot of uh, opportunities. There's high school games. There's college games. You could go scout right now. And that was the position that was up for it. And, you know, I'm just sort of uh, summarizing the story here. But the point is, is yeah, right. Like, go go do something and and get a love for it and then try to, to make a transition. It's not about being a fan because I think you oftentimes get disappointed potentially even as well so it's good 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 reflection there and i know our listeners are probably picking up on that very quickly so we're going to switch topics for a second you're uh you're in a position where you're in leadership you're managing people you're directing shows so i like to ask this question with it's about choices we all make choices in our lives and every choice builds the foundation of who we are but can you share a story with us in your professional career jamie when you made a risky choice at the time what it was and why you chose it and of course what the outcome was sure well i'll tell you a story where we kind of uh, we, we made a misstep. Um, I, I, I created a show called Numbers Never Lie, um, where there was sort of a lack of clarity on the goal of the show. And and what happened was Numbers Never Lie was sort of born from this idea that there's great interest in analytics. You know, certainly Paul would have told you, and sort of anyone seen Moneyball or yeah. sort of followed Bill James that there's there seems this intense interest in analytics in their application in sports. And so it seemed natural that you could make a TV show uh, based on analytics. And, you know, I, I probably it was a communication breakdown um, that, that I could raise my hand and say, oh, I was part of that mistake. And, and what it came from was that we had correctly identified a strong interest in analytics, but we hadn't correctly identified if that would make for compelling television. And I think what, it, what it's turned out is that analytics makes for uh, very, very helpful for GMs uh, to study and analyze players and to forecast their potential success. It also makes for very interesting articles, so it's, it makes for good copy, but it doesn't actually make for a great daily show. And I, I think daily TV shows really find success talking more about social stories, allowing people to put themselves in the position of an athlete. Oh, would I have done that? Would I say that? How would I feel? Analytics is a very different uh, type of conversation. And we launched this show, and it was one of my first shows where we launched, and I looked up a year into it. I'm like, wow, we've done like 250 shows, and this show just has not found its way. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, what we had to do is we had to totally transform both sort of everybody who was on the show and the entire conceit of the show. And, uh, you know, it wasn't so much as a, as, a, as a failure per se, as it was, I think, miscommunication early on on what would work. And, uh, and it took us, you know, a year plus to write the ship before we found a, found a way to make the show work. So do us a favor, take us into your job for a second. What exactly goes into making those decisions of hey, we're going to start a new show, just like you just mentioned, because I'm sure there's a lot of moving parts there. There are. And, you know, there, there's two very different things. And I, I, people try to make it binary. Um, but the answer often, as you know, in life, are these things are hands and not butts. And, and what the two things are, one is an idea of let's see what people are interested in and let's make a, a TV show to serve them. 
So that is to say, hey, people seem to be the most easiest possible example. People on Monday night seem very interested in football before the Monday night football game. Let's do a pregame show on the NFL. Like, duh, right? So this came up with, you know, whenever football started. So that's easy. Then it, then it comes into, can you create content that people aren't currently interested in, but we predict they will be? And that's more like the World Series of Poker. There was no one raising their hand saying, hey, can someone start putting poker on television? <laughs> but there was this idea from those people who were around when they created that, hey, we may have stumbled upon something that would be of interest. So let's make a series and see if it catches on. And so those are, those are really two just obvious examples. But you can imagine on a daily uh, studio show basis, trying to figure out what is the new type of show that somebody would be interested in. And that process, there is no magic formula. And I imagine the folks at MSNBC and Fox News and CNN, everyone else who has to fill their day with conversation, they'll probably say the same thing. But it's a little bit of research, it's a little bit of gut, and it's a little bit of luck. Yeah. And, yeah. and you just sort of, you, you got to keep testing things until you find the magic formula. I mean, as you mentioned, it's learning, learning and learning, learning about what's worked and what hasn't worked. Not always the, it's going to equate to success, however one defines that, but it is making sure we take those notes if something does not go the way we want it. So right. it's a good segue here because, again, you're a leader. You just told us about a story about a story an ESPN story that just uh, there was some miscommunication. But between you and your staff, you you manage a lot of folks, and a lot of folks look up to you as a leader. Uh, I use the quote all the time from George Bernard Shaw. It says, the biggest problem in communication is the illusion it has taken place. So with a lot of moving parts, deadlines, it's television, it's media, there's fans, you know, so that means there's a little pressure. Uh, how do you manage communication with your with your staff and with your uh, with your colleagues, you know, I, I often tell them uh, this this story from high school, and I'm sure they're tired of all my high school stories. But but you know, since I'm the boss, I make them listen. You're sounding old, uh, Jamie. I'm getting very old. <laughs> <laughs> These are the facts, and you know, the, I, I tell them this story because it's close to my heart, and it's and it's a, a time where I made made a big mistake in communication. I think everyone can learn from it. Um, or at least they have to pretend they're running from it. And I tell them the story that my high school basketball team, we had this six foot seven inch center named Paul, and he and I were co-captains of the Newton South basketball team. And we'd been competitive through our youth, but since we played different positions, we really lined up against each other. Right? I was the point guard, he was the center. Now, as, as you may know, in suburban high school basketball, really the key to success is literally just having two strong players instead of one. And and since we had two, our Newton South team did well. So we get to senior year, and we have a real shot at, at winning state. But there's this undercurrent of competitiveness between Paul and me because we're both looking to play college ball. So my dad, of course, my dad uh, sits me down, and he gives me great advice. He says to me, go take Paul out to lunch, discuss the situation with him. Just say what is obvious to both of you. You both want to play college ball, but you need to come together to win a state title. Like, Just put it on the table, what everybody is thinking at home but no one is talking about. And, of course, the, I guess the 17-year-old version of me was too timid to have that talk or too embarrassed or too proud. And whatever the reason, I didn't do it. And I failed to confront the situation. And, of course, the team was eliminated in the state quarterfinals. And Paul and I really never became greater than the sum of our parts. 
to this day, Paul and I have never spoken of it. You know, I periodically I run into him. We touch base on Facebook. It's never come up. This is 20 years later, right. and it still eats away at me. And what eats away at me is really it was just a breakdown in communication that prevented our team from achieving its full potential. Okay. And, and I, I tell that to people all the time, all my staff, that when they're unhappy with on-air talent, whatever the issue is, you must confront it. You've got to put it on the table and let everybody deal with it. Yeah. And it's really the only path of success. And I've said this a million times in my career because it's so important. I say, I say to the on-air talent, you know, when I take over a show or launch a show, and I say there's only one steadfast rule with me, and it is you must have clear, open, and honest communication. We can solve everything else. But if I don't know the truth, I don't know what people are really thinking, I can't get you there. Yeah. No. So, well, I wish someone had told that to me when I was 17. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you what, it could be told a million more times because it is a great, it's a great story, great fact. And your, your father's so wise for a number of different reasons. Number one, get it all out on the table, which so few of us really do. I mean, I've had people ask in situations, and usually young, younger kids or those who want to get into the world of sports. And, you know, with my little experience, I said, listen, the number one thing you can do is is put down, uh, I'm just going to generalize here for a second, but put down your email and start picking up your phone and start going to meet people in person. And to take it a step further, just like your father said, is go get outside that environment that you're always used to. You don't have the conversation in the gym, don't have it at school. Actually go out to right. eat, right? Go go be a right. human being. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's there's a book out there, Never Eat Alone, that I reference all the time, which is all about that and how to really just break down those barriers to allow a safe place for conversation. So so I can imagine that your staff, uh, if they don't get it right away, they quickly get it uh, because it's just there's there's so little time. Jamie, and, and leadership is all about that communication, whatever level you're in. I really value that story that you just told right there, and I hope who are you nations listening. Please, please, please communicate because one thing I can't stand is going home and talking about it. Right. Or uh, and, and I'm not saying that uh, this is the only case, but where you talk about, well, gosh, this isn't happening or so and so is not doing this. And I don't understand what a waste of energy. Just it's a pure oh. waste of energy. Take that energy. Think about Jamie's story. Think about going out and bringing someone to surprise. You know, it's just a surprise. Hey, let's go get a coffee. Let's go get a snack. Let's go do whatever. Let's just go on a walk. Let's go yep. Steve Jobs style. Go for a walk, right? It's <laughs> what I picked up on in this book anyway. And uh, go for a walk and just have the conversation. So can't be said enough, and that's why I'm elaborating here, but really appreciate your perspective. And it's not a surprise, by the way, if you think about those days, we were just talking about you know playing ball with our dads being the coaches, and as you're going to be in that position soon, myself as well with two boys, It's the it was like it was all about after the game, right, or before the game. It wasn't yeah. actually in the game that I remember remember it was going to have that pizza party or so my whole point is is that there's a different world out there and to communicate clearly sometimes you just got to get out of that zone so anyway good stuff good stuff well moving on here i am going to go right into the to-do list and productivity and you'll like this jamie you 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 like these terms i'm just throwing that on you by the way the the rhythm for self-management it sounds very official but as i read more and more about the to-do list it basically comes down to that at least in the magazines i read so please don't judge me but (laughs) what is your rhythm for self-management you got a lot going on you got a family at home you definitely have a commute as we mentioned earlier before the show sometimes you don't even know which office you're going to go to and uh just because it's such a large organization and then of course at work you got a lot going on so how do you keep it all together? 
Yeah, well, th this question I, I can answer answer instantly because I, I know them and I follow them devoutly. And there there are three things that have worked best for me. Uh, the first thing I do is I put everything on my calendar. I mean everything. People have meetings from, from 10 to 11 and 11 to 12 in two different buildings, and they're always like surprised they're late. I put in the walkover time. I put in the coffee break. I put in call grandma. I put in take garbage out. <laughs> everything must go in the calendar. The second thing is that working out has to happen at the start of the day. It is too easy. I'm sure most of your listeners know this, to skip it if it's in the afternoon or the end of the day because there's always something else that comes up that seems more pressing. Yep. And so it's the most important thing. Even even on the nights that I'm working till 1 or 2 in the morning, like the alarm goes off at 5 and, and I'm working out. You have to, and you have to get it in early and stay steadfast. And the third thing is the hardest, and I admit I'm not great at it yet, but I'm still working at it. And it's something that, that I read once, and it was, if there's something that can be done 80% as well by someone else, you should probably delegate it. And and that really, really is, is a challenge. Because especially when it's something that you find that you're good at or and or something that you really enjoy doing, it's tough to give it up. But time in the day is finite. You have to accept that. And, and once you accept that, you have to be willing to let things go. Um, and then that's if you, if you follow those three rules, I find that you can you can get into a pretty good rhythm. It's it's a calendar, it's a morning workout, and it's delegate. Excellent. One of the best answers I've heard on this show, to be honest with you, and something we can all learn about because we struggle constantly. And there's things popping up, and kids, like you mentioned, sickness. You never know. Kids are getting cough and going right. to the doctor. So, but sticking to those things, and that calendar is huge. Putting down the fact that you're going to work out on that calendar holds you accountable, yeah. right? Because when that little yeah. beeper goes off, whatever the heck it is on your phone that drives me nuts, it's saying, okay, well, Rob, are you going to do it today or are you not going to do it? <laughs> As opposed to this thought process, like I'm just going to go work out. So I really, really like your answer. It's perfect. So what have you learned? Have you, If you step back for a second, and you look at sports now from a business perspective as well as for your love. And we know, as we just mentioned, it's got to take more than just a fan. What have you learned about sports? Anything in particular? Because you go through this ride in life where you remember, right, you said back in the day, learn, watching these sports. And, and then you go off and you go into high school playing these sports. And then in college, it's either playing or watching or being a part of and having friends are playing sports. And now you're in this position where, hey, you got kids. They're going to be playing sports soon. So what have you learned about all this? Because not many people around sports as much as somebody like yourself. So shed some light on that. Give us some info. You know, I, I think what, what's sort of a commonality of um, success in sports and, and certainly success in, in the sports-related business I've been involved in is, is trying to identify paths to success that perhaps weren't previously seen. And, you know, as, as I've told you, I really love creating new shows or reinventing existing shows and finding the opportunity in the marketplace for them to thrive. And I remember when I was first launching Sports Nation, which is a daily show and still is uh, on ESPN2. And we were like looking around for ways to be different. And so I don't, we probably started just Googling, you know, different and just trying to figure out uh, what would be a path. And I was heavily influenced um, by uh, uh, something I remembered from growing up, which was 
the 1987 Providence men's basketball team. And I don't know if you remember remember this team, but uh, you know I was 11 at, at the time, and uh, it was the Rick Pitino era, right? And this was just when the three point rule came into be, and they had some point guard, some unnamed kid who wanted to transfer, Billy Donovan, right? Who of course has gone on to great success. And with Donovan playing point guard, the the Flyers they shoot their way all the way into the Final Four. And, and Patino and Donovan much later go on to these massively successful careers. But the thing that, that I always remembered and, and my research helped me recall was that epic tournament run. And what Patino had done was he'd taken this undermanned team that effectively had found an inefficiency in the marketplace, an, an opportunity. They'd overcome what was obviously a massive talent deficit by shooting the three early and often before other teams adopted that strategy. And I always tried to use that lesson to guide me sort of as a leader and, and to guide the show development process. You, you can unearth opportunities to find a new path to success. And so you can listen to me ramble on and on, or, or Steve Jobs, I think, just said in two words, think different. <laughs> yeah, right, think different. So. No, hey, good reference again. And and I think we're seeing that a little bit right now. And, and uh, during this time of this interview, we got the Patriots coming up with a very undermanned team. And they're, they actually have thought different. They have something – one would think it's Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Well, of course, he's the leader of that team. But you look at what they're doing recently, and they're running the ball. That's something, I mean, it just hasn't been part of their game plan all these years. So anyway, not an exact apples to apples, but I love the fact of how you're bringing light to this. And you're right in whatever level of uh, working, playing, watching uh, other work that has nothing to do with sports. There's always an opportunity to do it a different way and try it out. Yep. So well said. So time out and overtime, and I'm going to let you get back. I know you're in that New York area and got a lot of traffic to face, so I – I can't say I envy that, but uh, <laughs> uh, time out. Listen, we've we've already done a lot of moments here where we're reflecting back and trying to learn from either challenges we've been through or choices. But time out is, is really that time where, of course, as you know in sports, we're either formulating a plan, coming up with a strategy, but sometimes it's just simply to call a time out to halt that momentum that's moving against you. And when in your career, if we haven't covered it already, Jamie, when in your career have you called a personal timeout, taken the time to reflect and reverse the situation? What was that story? Well, sure. I, I, I once called a, a massive timeout. Probably have to call it back-to-back uh, full timeouts. Wow, uh, that's, in, a in my, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. Well, my team came back on the court and we called another one. Oh, okay, so, good. You're okay. fine. You're fine. You know, I, I worked at, at NBC uh, after Amherst, and I was there for eight years, and I loved it. And in 2006, I took a job at ESPN, and the idea was I was leaving sort of the daily grind of TV production to work in TV development. And that's, that's sort of a, a small change, but a big career path change in the sports world. But it was a significant opportunity uh, to go work in, in what was then ESPN Original Entertainment. So I was there for two years, and I was bored, bored beyond belief. And the group wasn't doing much, and there was just nothing to do. And it was, it was just killing me. And of course, the biggest problem was, I had a good job. I felt fairly compensated. I had great hours. I had a cool title. I was going to all these great events, but I wasn't learning. I wasn't learning at all. So I actually went to uh, to HR at ESPN to to sort of, in your terms, to call my time out. And I said to them, I don't want a promotion. I don't want more money. 
I want a job where I can be challenged and I can learn. Is there somewhere at ESPN that wants me? And of course, the the HR woman started laughing hysterically and thought this was the funniest pitch she ever heard in her life. Because <laughs> who comes into HR and is saying that they don't want more money and they don't want a better job? Right. And she said to me, please, here's, here's a list of five senior executives. Go go make this exact same speech to them that you don't want anything except to be challenged more. They will find something for you. And and it did. It, it worked. I wanted the senior executives after laughing that I had no demands and just wanted to offer up my services just in an effort to learn, found me a great new job at ESPN. And uh, it was a very beneficial time out. And it, it took a big change in my career. I ended up at that time leaving New York to move out to Connecticut to take a, a job up there and uh, contributing more and learning more. A very effective timeout. Oh, fantastic. Good for you. So often people say, okay, well, what do I do to get to that next level or even get a job somewhere, whether it's a, an apprenticeship or in sports commonly? And your your example is you are already in sports, but truly, like you said, it's like I, there's no agenda here, folks. I just want to get involved. I want to be challenged. I want to learn. And usually the answer to that, the response to that, like just like your HR lady so so plainly mm-hmm. and correctly put it is, well, go tell somebody and, and don't – if you go in there saying I need 50000 extra dollars and I need a promotion, that's probably not going to work. If you say, if you say, yeah, right. If you say, look, I just need to be challenged or, Hey, other people have said, and I'm not comparing you to this, but listen, I just want to follow you around. I will take out the trash. I'll do anything. I just want to learn more about what you do so I can enter that part of the office or that part of the department. And I'm just not happy of where I am right now. Just being honest with yourself and then willing to take a sacrifice to like you did, probably did. You probably put in more hours for less money. That's okay. Or same amount of money. But ultimately you look back and tell that story and what a fantastic timeout it was. So I commend you for that. I really do. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Good timeouts. And in life, Jamie, there is no penalties. I was just joking. We can call (laughs) as many timeouts as we want if no one's figured that out yet. (laughs) So that is the good news. All right. Overtime. I'd like to have some fun here. You've already spoken a little bit about your schedule, but is there a habit that you do on a daily or weekly basis? It could be something you eat. It could be something you do with your family. Anything you could share with us as we're always so hungry for that little tidbit that we can learn from our guests. Yeah, well, my my sort of habit is is a very personal one. I I usually take like a mid morning ten minute break at my desk to read about Boston sports teams on Boston dot com or ESPN Boston dot com. Nice. And it's just it's just you shut the door. It's a ten minute break, and I feel like it's Sunday morning, and I'm seven years old all over again. And I can get myself all riled up over the Celtics trading somebody for a second round draft pick that. There must be like 4,000 people on planet Earth that cares about this, but I'm one of them. <laughs> and I just think it's, just, I highly recommend everyone finding something, whether it's your favorite song or anything in the world that just allows you to drift off just for 10 minutes. It's like if, you, if your brain is, is like a muscle, like it just needs to relax. So just relax for 10 minutes. It's, to, to use your previous work, it's a timeout for your brain. So true and has to happen. Every single day, multiple times, in fact, in my opinion, uh, you just can't go. I, I've I've read recently that it's it's a forty five minutes. That was the study by some, you know, I don't know who knows Ivy League school that that uh, I have to call official at this point. But it was a forty five <laughs> minute. Uh, forty five minutes is about that time before you need just a, a little break. It could be three minutes, yeah. five minutes, ten minutes, like you said. Hobby sometimes, you know, back in the old days, it was like let's go do the smoke break, whatever. I mean, that is exactly just, that's, that's right. long gone. But but check in your Facebook, do whatever you need to do. 
do. I don't care. You know, I've led people. I've been a boss. I, and I hate that word, but it's just, I don't care. Like, whatever you got to do to reset yourself, do it. Take a walk. Do whatever it's got to be done for you. Reading the paper, man, that's awesome. Good for you. Good for you to recognize that. So have you ever uh, been at ESPN and had lunch with a mascot? <laughs> I, I haven't. Come on. I'll tell you what, when they take those commercials, yeah. man, it's like the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, 400 people surrounding it. It's bigger than, you know, celebrities coming in. The commercials are so famous. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, if there's anything, if, if I was on the, the, the day that I drift off into Neverland, wherever that is, and you're to say, what's ESPN all about? I'd say the greatest commercials ever. So I love them. Uh, it's just, it's just very creative. It's very down to earth and it's so subtle, the humor, but, uh, um, yeah. All right. Well, you know, we'll, we'll follow up in, in, in with you in about a year. Uh, if you could just get a, a lunch, maybe a snack break in there with one of them, you know, preferably <laughs> like the, the Syracuse orange or whatever the heck he is. That's, that's right. The orange, as we call them now. That's right. So you have seen these being taped though. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that that ad campaign works so perfectly is like anything else in, in the world. It's the authenticity to it, yeah. right? It's like when they bring Tiger Woods, we didn't go out and like shoot with Tiger. They make Tiger come literally to Bristol, Connecticut, and walk the hallways. I love it. And like that's that's part of the fun of it. Arnold Palmer comes into our cafe and he makes an Arnold Palmer and drinks it. I mean, just, <laughs> it's just perfect. It's perfect. I love it. I absolutely love it. I forgot the names now, but I do remember it was Ovechkin a couple of years ago and, and their goalie, uh, uh, old, old, whatever, I forget his name. Jeez. But anyway, and they're in the copy room and they're doing something and it's like some secret spy Russian thing because they're both right. Russian. I mean, it's just, it's pure entertainment. Absolutely love the creativity and glad to know that there's there's fun everywhere along. I'm just wondering what the heck the, when the mascots come in, like what that whole ordeal is about because I'm just, you know, you know I'm you a fascinated. Love I love you mascots. <laughs> I love mascots, right? I just, I just want to know, like they get on the plane and somebody's talking to them and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go shoot a commercial as, you know, as whatever the tree of Stanford and like, <laughs> all right, cool, man. There's just a lot going on there. D anyway. Um, let's see. Handed you a baseball bat, major league uniform, Jamie Horowitz walking up to the plate. You get to choose your walk up song playing over the loudspeaker to get ready for your at bat. What is that song, Jamie? Oh, it's, it's forever. It's, you know, my high school basketball team will run out onto the court at the 25 second mark of right now by Van Halen. And, and that music change that comes at 25 seconds, that, that could happen at a black tie event at the white house. And I think I might start running wind sprints. <laughs> well, um, I don't know what uh, secret service would do about that, but I would absolutely have my iPhone out and be uh, taping that. So great stuff. No, what a great song to get off to. So there's your walk up song. Right, right now. All right, favorite sports movie. I know this is going to be a tough one for you. Well, it is tough having seen so many of them. I, I guess for me, I'll put down my, my the first sports movie I remember seeing, and and that was Rocky Three. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think I remember it, it totally blew me away. I'm, I'm like six years old, and of course at this age I don't even realize that Hollywood makes movies for me. And my my beloved grandfather took me to the movies in the Bronx. And the place was going crazy during the fight scenes. Yeah. Like it was a real fight we were watching, the level of cheering that was going on. <laughs> it was electric. And uh, I'll tell you, Ron, if I'm home late at night flipping channels, 
I literally have to hope I don't stumble onto it because once I see it, I'm locked in for two hours. I can completely agree, and you're right. I've been in that situation where the crowd's going nuts, and it was during a Rocky movie. This one was Rocky Four, and everybody's cheering yeah. USA, USA. And I'm like, <laughs> where am I? Like, what is happening here? Amazing. Now, just do me a favor for a second. Was this was 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 this when Mickey passed in Rocky Three? Oh, of course, of oh, course. They're gonna bring up such sad moments. Oh, yeah, that was. Nice. I think I was with my dad. You know, you're trying to be a little boy. Oh. And sh- I was just crying like a. Oh my goodness, I miss. I still miss Mickey. Tell me it wasn't real. <laughs> Tell me it wasn't real, Jamie. Oh. oh, it was real. Oh man, much much sadder than when Apollo died. I mean, Mickey yes. was really yeah, just Mickey. Crushing. Yeah, you know, Apollo. Look, man, he went out there. He knew what he was facing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking sides here. I loved Apollo too, right? But uh, I'm not going in that ring with that crazy guy, Drago. Anybody who names himself Drago, I'm sorry, I'm out. I'm out. Um, all right, you are uh, gonna please. Sorry, okay. Recommendation for a book, favorite book, or one that you've re- uh, recently read that you could share with Who Are You Nation? Well, I would say read everything Malcolm Gladwell ever wrote. Oh, you know, that's the truth. As, as I'm sure you know, every one of his books has like this iambic pentameter beat to it. You think this, but it's actually that. Yep. What seemed right was really wrong. Your advantage, it's your weakness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, I love the counterintuitive nature to his research. And, you know, I was thinking of it because I just finished David and Goliath, but, but I'm sure you've read, you know, Blink and Tipping Point and Outliers. They're, they're all great. Great books. I will honestly say that those books have changed my life. Uh, now, you know, I got a little, uh, I look at things differently sometimes, but the stickiness factor in his first book and all about how, what people think in their first few moments and blink. And then David and Goliath, a classic, I'm not going to say a word, go out and read it, but it's just, he is, he's great. Outliers, wonderful stories. And I'll tell you to this day, if he were to come on the show, I would be an honored, honored man. So I'm hoping to get him on there one day. Cause he does talk a lot about sports. It's interesting. In his own he does. I've gotten to, uh, yeah. I've gotten a chance to know Malcolm a little bit over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, he's good friends with, with my good friend, Bill Simmons, oh. and, uh, and he's, he's done a bunch of stuff with Bill. Uh, he's gone to a couple different analytics conferences that, I, that I've been at with those guys. And uh, he is a legitimate sports fan. Like, he will get into the nitty-gritty with you on player acquisition. Like, he really he knows his stuff. That's awesome. So, so well, listen, Tuesday and Thursdays work best. Just make sure he's on time. <laughs> we'll be ready <laughs> for him. We'll be ready for him. Hey, and I'll get I'll get deep at S up there. We'll start talking analytics all over the place. <laughs> um, that would be a fascinating show, actually. You know, we'll bring your show. We'll bring your show back, Jamie. That's what you well, needed. Listen, uh, you, you told me I'm going to have to, you know, eventually give you a recommendation. That's what you should go get. Go get Gladwell. I'm going to. I'm going to. We'll talk later. Shh. Um, <laughs> all right. You're the host of this show. It's not going to be Gladwell. You already gave me that. But uh, who is the person you're going to invite on the Life Lessons of Sports and why? Uh, this seems like a harder booking than uh, than Gladwell. Uh but I think sort of one of the most interesting people for, for leadership and, and sports right now would be if you can book Jay-Z. Jay-Z. I mean, I just think it's fascinating what he's done here, you know, for, for who he is and the success he's found as his entree into the sports business. Uh, and it's, it's really, it's for those of us in the sports industry, it's a fascinating thing to watch. So the consolidation of power and, you know, can you take the, a guy who has such an enormous name and such cachet uh, with these athletes? Can he become the next sort of Uber agent? Mm. Um, it's it's certainly out there for his taking. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, if you get him on, you should you should ask him if he'll come over to my house for dinner, so my wife will stop asking me. <laughs> 
fantastic. Well, listen, I would love to have Jay-Z on the show. And I got to tell you, between kids doing this show and just uh, trying to get those workouts in, Jamie, have, is there something out there, a show that we could watch uh, that has Jay-Z in it, learn a little bit more about what you're speaking of for those who you've just piqued their interest? That's a, a good question. You know, the thing he's been uh, most involved in, and the truth is he hasn't been that active in many sports shows, but the morning show I run, First Take, uh, which is on from 10 to 12 Eastern uh, on, on ESPN2. We periodically, Stephen A. Smith is, is one of the hosts of the show, and he has a relationship with Jay-Z. So periodically, there will be Jay-Z-related things coming up. Stephen will speak, spoken to Jay, and uh, we'll, we'll talk some of those angles. Um, but it, it, he's a fascinating, fascinating member of the sports industry right now because sort of it's so new to him. Uh, with so much upside. Right. And it just shows too, like you said before, it people coming in with a different approach uh, and opportunities uh, sometimes have so much more success just because of the fact that they've been doing other things. So absolutely love it. Good stuff. Jay-Z and Malcolm Gladwell coming to you live next week. Thank you. <laughs> you have an amazing power to do this. Um, how about a foundation or charity that you or your family or one that you just simply like to recognize on this show that you support or could bring light to? Because our, our fans at Who Are You Nation love to support and really find out more about foundations. Sure. There's a, there's a group that, uh, that I'm very close with and, and my wife works with. It's, it's a nonprofit called IAVA, which you may have heard of. Yeah. Um, it was founded by Paul Rykoff, who also uh, went to Amherst. And it's, it's Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. It's a, an advocacy group dedicated to, to helping the veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, we started, started, I think, in, in 04 uh, by, by Rykoff. And uh, my wife got involved uh, maybe a year or so later. And uh, the two of us care quite deeply about helping out the veterans. I, I know I, I first learned about veterans from stories from my grandfather who had served in World War II. And uh, if you want to know more about it, the group is online at IAVA.org. Well, we will most definitely post that URL up there next to your show notes, Jamie, and very familiar with Paul's work and excellent, excellent stuff. What a great man. And I know he's coming on the show one day. If I, if I have to go get him and bring him personally to my house, I'm going to get him. <laughs> a lot of leadership. After, after Gladwell and Jay-Z. Yeah, course. I know. Gosh, it's just I'm getting too busy these days. <laughs> How can we connect with you or at least follow one of your shows? What's the best way to do that, Jamie? Twitter, Facebook, as uh, Billy Joe Tolliver once on our show, a uh, face page. How, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> My face page has been shut down. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, of course, uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my Twitter handle's at jhorowitz33. Nice. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions anyone has. Um, you know, I, I love what you're doing here. I love the stuff that you're talking about with leadership and and uh, I, I love even just, just debating this type of stuff, what makes great leaders, what the best process is. I think it's uh, sort of endlessly fascinating, and you can always learn from different people. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. And 33 is for Larry Bird, right? Of course it is. Ah, what's up, Austin? Oh, <laughs> Talk about a lead-by-example guy. Well, that's, a, that's for the next show, Jamie. Oh, <laughs> man. I tell you, Larry Bird. He's just, uh, I love them all. I love all the, those greats from back then, but there's something about Larry. 
just put Old his New head York. down and just did his job. Yeah, so, listen, I have one last question for you. But before I do, I just want to say, Jamie, it's been an honor and privilege to speak with you today. I know our listeners are already well aware, but they could check out our website, whoareyousports.com, listen to this interview again, and find the links to everything we've spoken about, the books, some resources, your motivational quote, contact information, and the foundation that you and your wife support. So, Jamie, I want to congratulate you. You've been officially inducted into Who Are You Nation, and I want to welcome you to the team. Boom, I made it. You made it, my friend. You got some eye black coming your way. <laughs> yep. you. you know, you know me, Jamie. There's always <laughs> something happening afterwards. So to put on your game face, there is some eye black coming your way, and we're going to have to see the Jamie Horowitz. Preferably well, your wife or kids will take the picture, all right? So don't try to dodge out of this one. <laughs> but uh, that eye black, I want to see your game face. Please send it over when you get it. Done. You got it. So okay. I did say, I did say I had one last question. Here's where sure. we go inside the locker room. We pull back the curtain have a seat and this is a story Jamie where I like to say your friends and family know it's something you're completely comfortable talking about it's just if you don't ask Jamie Horowitz he's just not going to tell it's just one of those things that don't come up in day-to-day conversation if you could share with us one last story about you so we can learn more about you it could be an encounter it could be one of those things that you just do on a daily basis that no one knows about and have some fun with it Um, it could be an experience that you had and meeting somebody or a conversation but please open the doors for a second and bring us in inside the locker room. And one of my favorite stories is a story that uh, ESPN NFL broadcaster Ron Jaworski, or Jaws, as you may know him, mm-hmm. uh, once told me when I was asking about the Pats. And he tells me he's in Miami for a Pats-Dolphins Monday Night Football game. This is, this is like September uh, of 2011. And like you were the day before all games, Jaws would meet with the coaches and the quarterbacks and maybe some key players. And so in the newsroom, Josh tells me that he sits down with Brady. Remember, in 2011, with Brady in 2011, and Brady is all sorts of fired up. Who are you, Nation? Our guest is ready to go inside the locker room. Are you? Gain exclusive access to the story as well as those from all of our guests. Visit whoareyousports.com where there is a page dedicated especially for all of our listeners at Who Are You Nation. Until next time, please remember both in sports and in life that it's not all about the scoreboard so much as it is about our dedication to becoming a better teammate, healthier person, and adopting an efforts over results mindset.